Turn with me there in your Bibles to our text this evening, which is from the book of Psalms and chapter 1. Psalm 1. We'll read the psalm together. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish." I wonder how many of us here this evening have memberships to something. Uh, Many of us, I'm sure, will probably have a membership to something like Amazon Prime or Netflix or whatever uh, sort of streaming thing that's going around these days. There's lots of them. Maybe it's a glossy magazine or perhaps you're in a rugby team. That counts as a membership, I suppose. A book club or the gym, something I've never been to. You know, whether there are these memberships you can get, isn't it? You pay per month or whatever it is, you, and you get in, you're in a club, you're in a group. But there are some groups that you and I are in, whether or not we like it. You're either male or you're female, tall or short, married or unmarried. I'm told that you either love Marmite or you hate Marmite, and you can either tolerate or completely not tolerate pineapple on pizza. Psalm 1 presents to us two groups, and it says you are in one or you're in the other. You have to be in one or the other. The first group is those who delight in the Word of God. And the other group is those who do not. And so you and I are going to look this evening at these two groups. We'll make two observations about each group, and then we'll move on to a conclusion. So first of all, let's look at that first group, those who delight in the Word of God. The first observation is that they don't do something. See there in verse 1, they don't do something. And I wonder, as we were reading, did you notice the progression that the psalmist has written into this verse? You see it? There's walking. Then there's standing. And then there's sitting. This is describing for us a process of becoming increasingly comfortable with sin. Walking in it. Standing in it. Sitting in it. Now, to the unbeliever amongst us who doesn't know the Lord Jesus, this is a clear warning to you of the inescapability of sin, the inevitability of guilt. One step in its direction, you're in its clutches. 
to the believer amongst us, this is a clear warning. Stay away from sin or it will suck you in. It's as simple as that. There's a famous quote by a Puritan named John Owen. Some of you will know it. Be killing sin or it will what? It will be killing you. One step in the direction of sin can lead to you sitting in it. Are you sitting in sin this evening? Maybe you're up to your knees in it, sat down in it. Have you gone along with sin for so long, given into temptation so often, that now your, your conscience is seared? You barely notice it. You don't feel it. No longer pricked in your conscience. I hope not. Perhaps it's not that bad. Maybe you're just standing in sin. Some of us, I'm sure, are. Tolerating it. Not dealing with it. Not doing what Spurgeon said in one of his famous sermons. Spare no tool. Be brutal. Be ruthless. Be merciless. Don't stand in it. Perhaps you're contemplating the first step in its direction. Rather than avoiding it altogether. Shall I buy that thing that I know will be no good for me spiritually? Shall I watch that program? Shall I go out with that person? Shall I give up on the prayer meeting? Shall I stop going to church twice or whatever it may be? All these little things. Contemplating small steps that lead in dangerous directions. One more drink. One lustful look. One word spoken against a brother. One crude joke. Or I'll just tell this one person this piece of gossip. That won't be so bad if I just tell one and they'll keep it a secret. I'll just steal one hour from my boss and tell him I'm in work. What happens if you walk, stand or sit on the railway? You get hit by a train. It's as simple as that. And so they put all these signs up that say, don't walk, stand or sit on the railway. You'd be dense to do it. But equally, we must stay away from sin. There's all manner of slippery slopes in which to be in constant prayer about. I had the privilege of um, sharing a house a few years ago with a, a godly man who had written on his wall, give me Lord the tender heart that trembles at the approach of sin. A godly fear of sin in part, implant and root it deep within. Now, in church history, some of our brothers and sisters in the past have read the absolute terms that the psalmist uses in Psalm 1 and has taken, have taken them to the point of what we call asceticism. What that means is that to make themselves the blessed man, verse 1, they withdraw from the world. They sell all that they have and they live in monasteries or they move into some far-flung cave away from all sin and all sinners in the world so that they can uh, dare not take a step in the direction of sin or any corrupting influence. 
As tempting as the thought may be to sell our children and leave for a monastery, that sort of hermit-like isolationism, hyper-piety, is not biblical Christianity. You and I must be careful not to fall into the hypocritical trap of thinking that you and I can sell the TV or never speak to our neighbours who aren't Christians and retreat into the church or Christian community to find in there a haven from any sort of corruption. How can we be so sure that that won't work? Doesn't that sound like a good idea? Well, let me give you two reasons why before we move on. The first is in Matthew 9, where we read about Jesus, the sinless one, who literally sat and ate and drank and walked and stood with sinners, who did exactly that. The second is Mark 7, where Jesus opens his mouth and he tells us that sin comes from where? The heart. It comes from within. And there is no church service, there is no prayer meeting, there is no hermit hole that keeps us safe from the sins of the heart. And I don't need to tell you that, regrettably, church is sometimes the place to go for the sins of the heart. You and I know what it is. We hide from sin. We go in on ourselves only to find that's exactly where the sin is. We withdraw from the world and find there's just as much sin inside me. Psalm 1 doesn't call us to separate ourselves from the world physically and literally, It calls us to separate ourselves from the world in thought, in word, and in deed. Jesus, yes, he walked, sat, ate, drank, and ate with sinners, but he did not sin with them. Hebrew says in one verse, Jesus Christ became us, and he's separate from sinners. Isn't that a marvelous marvelous balance there? The book of Jude calls us to be in, but not of, the world, just as Christ was. Romans calls us not to be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your lifestyle, social habits. Be be renewed in the uh, tastes that you have in art. Be renewed in your political persuasion. Be renewed in the mind. The blessed man is in the world, but very different from it, isn't he? It's like Jesus. He's walking in the world, he's standing and sitting with sinners, and yet undefiled. How exactly that is possible will be clear in a moment. But let's look at the second observation. The first about this first group, those who delight in the word of God, is that they don't walk, uh, walk in the way of sin, stand in it or sit in it. But they do something. They do something. Look at verse 3. Did you notice a progression in these verses too? 
planted and fruitful, not withering, ever prospering. Spring, summer, autumn, winter, the leaf is green and the fruit is growing. This is a picture of what we call sanctification, becoming more and more and more like the Lord Jesus every day. There's a wonderful parallel verse, if you wanted to look it up, in Psalm 92. It talks about Christians growing into their old age and continually bearing fruit. Now, self is definitely not the best judge of this, so I'd recommend you ask someone else that you trust. But have you been sanctified this year? Have you grown? Have you been bearing fruit? Have you not withered? Are you ever prospering in the word of God? Because God our Father has promised this sanctification to all of his children. He says that we are transformed from one degree of glory to another degree of glory, our sanctification, until what? We are resurrected. And that's our glorification. Our Father has chosen his favourite tool to bring this about. Did you know? His favourite tool to sanctify his Christians is his word. Those who delight in it grow by it. And so you and I as confessing believers in the Lord Jesus, we ought to be rooted in the word of God like a tree in a stream. We ought to stand in it like a house built on a rock. We ought to prosper in it like a branch in a vine. I want you to picture in your mind two farmers. Each farmer has a field. But one farmer digs his field. He tends to his field. He plows it. He fertilizes it. He waters it. And he even prays about his field. And the other just leaves it. Which of those farms is going to be fruitful and profit? It's not a trick question. It's quite obvious, isn't it? Now, if you want to be strong as a Christian, if you want to flourish, if you want to bear fruit, if you want to avoid wilting away, if you want to be unwavering, enduring in the faith, fruitful, following after Christ, never taking a backward step, stick to the Word of God. Dig deep into it. Depend on it humbly. Ask our Father to use it to make you Christ-like. And you know what? He will do it because He absolutely loves to do it. Because it brings out of us his own son who he loves in doing so he will be answering the prayer of his son in john 17 as tony just reminded us sanctify them by your truth your word is truth and the father says okay i love to do that and so you and i can have every confidence when we come to our god in prayer and we say sanctify me By your truth, your word is truth. When we come to his word, we need not doubt for an instant that our Father will use it for our good. As we read Matthew 9 and Jeremiah 17 and Psalm 1 and every other chapter that you can cram in between now and bed, you know the Father uses it to sanctify you, to make you more like his Son. Now that's those who delight in the word of God Now, much more briefly, let's look at those who do not. 
And we have here two observations again. And once again, the first is something that they don't do. Psalm 1, verse 5. What is it that they don't do? The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. There are only so many days that planet Earth has. And one day it will be the last day. And it may even be today. But when that last day comes, the wicked, the ungodly, those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord, their King, their Saviour, their best friend, their brother, their good shepherd, cannot endure. They cannot. It is not possible. The Lord Jesus Christ will appear and will separate those who delight in his word from those who do not delight in his word, like sheep from goats. You will be there, I will be there, we will all be there. And in that fire, those who do not delight in his word, but think and speak and act like the world, what will happen to them? They will burn up with the world. They cannot endure Instead, something else happens. And this is the second observation. They cannot endure, they don't endure, they do something else. In verse 4, do you see it there? They are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Now, chaff is a word that means something like rubbish. It's a word that was used to distinguish between the grain of wheat, which is good, and the little husk that's around it, which isn't. And sometimes the word chaff is used for that which is useless dust that blows away in the wind. They are blown away like chaff, these people. And that's the end of them. It is easy at this point to think in an us and them kind of way. As if we are the godly Word-reading, hard-working, upright Christian folk in here every Sunday as we can, and they are the sinning, Bible-ignorant unbelievers out there. Don't lose sight of the audience of this psalm. To whom was it written? It's a psalm book written in Hebrew to Hebrews. It's a book for Israelites. It's written to Israelites in Israel. The psalmist is saying that in Israel are wicked people destined to be blown away like chaff. God's people. And he says to them, God's word will find you out. That's the distinguishing mark. And so there are those who have heard the word, but don't delight in it. We remember the words of our Saviour in John 5. He says, you read the scriptures, you search them, you plunder them, you go through them like a, with like a tough comb, you go word by word, letter by letter, literally. And you have not come to me, that you may have eternal life. There are those who have the word, but don't delight in it. And maybe we don't have to go out there to find them. Maybe they're in here. People who have the word, but they don't obey it. They don't believe it. They don't repent. The word will find you out too. 
For the word of God is living and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Our Lord Jesus has always used the word to distinguish between these two groups. We have it during Psalm 1, we have it in Malachi, we have it in the preaching of John the Baptist and so forth. At one time, our Lord Jesus said to some believers, he said, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. And then he turns and he speaks to some unbelievers and he says, You seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. And it still happens this way today. And you and I are most likely going to be reminded of it over Christmas. I wonder if you're looking forward to mixing some households over the couple of days over Christmas. And we all have those family members that we have to meet up with and friends with whom we have the world in common. But this distinguishes us. Jesus, the word of God, is in us and has rooted around and has found us out and he's changed us. But not then. The word of God distinguishes between us and once again it shall happen. It will happen again on that last day that we talked about a moment ago when Jesus will appear, the sky will unroll like a scroll and the brightness of his coming will be unbelievable. And when he appears, he will separate us into two groups with a word. There's much more to say on that, but we are low on time. So let us come to a conclusion. As I ask you the question, what makes Psalm 1? What is it all about? Well, Psalm 1 is what some have called a scripture psalm. A scripture psalm. I want you to do this little experiment with me. What if we took the word of God out of Psalm 1? Let's say you could take a a pen and just scribble out verse 2 with that reference there to the Word of God. Let's just scribble out verse 2. Have a look at Psalm 1 again. What is it? What difference does that make? Blessed is the man who doesn't walk, sit, and stand with sinners. He should be like a tree, and so forth. And the ungodly are not like that. They shan't endure. If you take the Word of God out of Psalm 1, what you have is baseless moralism. Good things happen to good people. That's what happens when you take the word out of Psalm 1. Bad things happen to good people. It's the word of God that makes the difference. And so Psalm 1 comes to you and to me with the standard of verse 2. And it says, the righteousness of verse 2 is expected of you and me if we are to endure the judgment of verses 4 and 5. And suddenly, all of our misconceptions and pride explode in our faces, doesn't it? The thought that we are in verse 2 and others aren't could not be further from the natural truth. 
I can't pretend that I'm in verse 2, can you? Not only do I soldier through my quiet times sometimes, if I remember to do them, I can't really say I delight in God's word. I certainly can't say that I think about it all my waking hours. In fact, there are parts of the Bible I jolly well don't like. What's more, I have done all of those things in verse 1. That's true of us all. Make no mistake about it, naturally speaking, we are all in verse 4. None of us, none, are in verse 2. We are all due to be blown away like the trap. So the question that is begged is who then can be saved? Who could possibly be in verse 2? Who could be in verse 2? Who is in verse 2? The psalmist says, blessed is the man for a reason. It is not some hypothetical impossibility for us to muse on. It's not some sort of cruel taunt. No, the psalmist has someone in mind when he says, blessed is the man. And just as Psalm 1 without the word is pointless, you know, Psalm 1 without the word is like a, it's like a cage without a bird. So Psalm 1 without Jesus Christ is like a love song with no one in mind. Jesus is the blessed man. He is the only one who fits the bill. Who is it, tell me, that is separate from sinners? Verse 1. Who is it that keeps the law and loves it and thinks about it all the time and every time he opens his mouth, that's what comes out? Who grows and increases in wisdom and stature and in favour and in fruitfulness with God and with man? Verse 3. Who is it that separates the wheat from the chaff in verse 4? Who will stand in the judgment? Verse 5. Because he is giving it. Who is it that is the righteous one whose way the Father knows? Who is the Lord? who knows the way of the righteous. The Lord Jesus Christ is all over this psalm. It is not about you. It is not about me. It is about our Savior, the obsession and the love, the darling of heaven. It is Jesus. And what this psalm shows us in him is that the Word of God is like a magnifying glass and it comes up to you and to me and it comes to examine us. It's like a ruler that is brought up against each one of us to find, is there any conformity here to God's will? And in each and every one of us, every one of us, the Word of God finds rebellion, it finds inconformity, it finds failure, it finds mixed motive, it finds love for other things, it finds love for self and the things of this world. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, when the Word of God, that rule of the law of God comes to Jesus, what does it find? 
That's right. Nothing. Absolutely nothing to condemn. No bitterness, no guilt, no idolatry, no unbelief, nothing at all in him. Remember what he said in the upper room. The ruler of this world is coming. He has nothing in me. Nothing to accuse me with. Instead, the word of God, the law, finds in our Saviour purity of heart. Love for God. Love for others. Patience. Kindness. Long-suffering. It finds in him gracious words. It finds an unshakable faith in his Father's word. So loved Jesus the word of God that he was willing to go to Calvary that every word of it may be fulfilled. Even when he cried with tears and with bitter anguish, when he was sweating drops of blood and he was asking his father, please let this cup pass from me, he then opened his mouth and with the next breath said, all this is done that the scriptures may be fulfilled. Who is the blessed man? It is Jesus. He is the blessed man who would and did rather die than go and see a single word unfilled. This psalm is about the word of God and it is about the word made flesh. But there are still two groups, and we'll finish with this. There are still two groups. And I hope now that we all see that it is not us and them. It is us and him. And you and I are all in verse 4. We're all in the same sinking boat. And Jesus Christ is the only one in verse 2. And so the question has become not in which group are you, in which group am I. The question has become where do I get the righteousness of verse 1? How must I be saved? How do I get into Jesus' group? How can I find a love of God's word in verse 2, without which I cannot endure the judgment? The only place to find it, the only way to get it, is to go to him who has it. And you know, that's really hard. That's really hard, because it takes humility. We must take up our cross and follow him daily. We must deny ourselves and follow him. We must come to Jesus and swallow our pride. You know, if you think this is easy, please ask yourself, have you ever done it? We must come to Jesus, swallow our pride, and ask him to graciously give us what he has and what we lack, to renew in us a love for his word, a love for him, a devotion to him, a worshipful heart for him, a hatred of sin, a determination to pursue him everywhere he would have us to go. Jesus, please forgive me for sitting in sin, for being so foolish as to think myself righteous, Please give me of your perfect, spotless righteousness. Write the word of God onto my heart. Forgive my iniquity. Remember my sin no more, that I might stand on the last day and be with you.
Psalm 1 ends like this. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. I don't know about you, but I think John 3.16 fits very nicely on the end of that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Psalm 1 is about the Word of God. It's about the Word of God made flesh. And you need him. And he's been given for us to have. All we need to do is ask. Let me give the last words once again to the prophet Jeremiah. I'll just read a few words from his prophecy and then we'll pray to finish and sing. These words come from Jeremiah chapter 31. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbour and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have come before you once again and we ask that you should humble us Break our hearts, give us that contrite spirit that you so love more than all the sacrifices. Forgive our iniquity, remember our sin no more. Give us eyes to see the Lord Jesus Christ and graft us into him who is the blessed man. Father, we thank you for him that this psalm is not a cruel taunt, but it is a signpost pointing us to him who is more than sufficient for us. O oh Lord, give us into him, we pray, for his own name's sake. Amen.